Let's open up our Bibles to 2 Timothy. That's where we'll start there, chapter 3. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can grab one of the blue Bibles in the pews. You can follow along with me. And I want to make uh, one point about the discipleship books. We did have those in the back. Sharon, are they gone? We only had 40. Do we have? I got three left, and this makes four, okay? Uh, we'll order some more if you are interested in one of these. If you were not here last week, I just want to remind you just about everything we're going to be talking about for the next year and a half. This is really the spine and the skeleton of that. Dave Buring's discipleship book, A Discipleship Journey. We're intentionally following a path of just encouraging you to lay a bedrock of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in your own life. So what we'll be saying from the pulpit is resonating in these things. Of course, the going deepers will follow that. In your root groups, the things that you'll be discussing in root group are going to mirror what we're talking about here. The workbook is just going to give you an opportunity to go a little bit deeper if you want to pursue more about these things, you want to hear these things out well, then this is an opportunity for that. And uh, we have those in the back. And if we run out, if you'll just let the office know, I'm going to get Sharon just to take a list if anybody wants that. And you already got a list going. Awesome. And uh, we'll make sure that we'll get a copy in your hand. If you already have one, or if this is the first week you've got it, will you just open up your bulletin for me? And you have a flap on the inside. Does everybody see that? Every week from this point on, at the top of the flap, as we're on this theme, it'll tell you what parts of the book to cover on your own for this coming week. Now, this week, there's two sections in there to cover because we just got the books to you this week. But you'll be able to follow along with that and know you're on track with what we're talking about out of the pulpit. So last week, we started talking about the importance of learning how to discern the voice of the Lord because our God is speaking to us. He is speaking to us. We may not have realized that he's been speaking to us. We may not realize that our circumstances have been aligning, that the things we've been reading in the Bible in our quiet time are all working together, or the songs we're hearing maybe on Caleb and we're traveling into, into work, the things our, our children ask us, the things that are going on in our life. We don't realize it, but God is speaking to us. And what we need to learn how to do as followers of Jesus is learn how to discern Jesus' voice out of every other voice that's out there. There are a million voices in our hearts and minds every day. They come from all kinds of different sources. Only one of them is Jesus. Only one. Only one. And so we have to learn how to slough out all those other voices and tune ourselves into what Jesus is saying to us above all things. So this morning, we're going to lay a really solid foundation on how to progress in that because last week we saw in the life of a young man, Samuel, how the Lord began to speak to him. And this is what we saw, that God spoke to him in a way that Samuel could begin to recognize it was him. He ordered all of his circumstances to move in that direction so that Samuel could walk out and say, listen, this is clearly the voice of the Lord. And it set the table for Samuel's public ministry from that point on. We believe the Lord's doing the same thing for us. But this morning, what we want to see is that the Word of God, the Bible, is central to learning how to discern the voice of the Lord accurately and consistently. The Word of God is our bedrock. And so what we want to do is we want to look at 2 Timothy because the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest church planners in all of history, is writing to not a young man at this point, but a man that he had discipled in the faith. He had brought to faith on one of his missionary journeys. 
He's writing to Timothy. Timothy is now pastoring a church that Paul founded. It's the church at Ephesus. Paul stayed in that church for two and a half years. Then Paul moved on. And at one point, he sends uh, Timothy to go and take over him as pastor. And so when you read First and Second Timothy, this is just encouragement for Timothy as a pastor at how to plow straight and deal with issues and be reminded of what the Lord's doing. And he's just encouraging him along the way. Here's one of the things I need to make sure you understand about 2 Timothy. This is the last book that we have of Paul's before he died. This is the last one that he wrote. And his death was not too far off. In fact, if you keep reading 2 Timothy, what you'll see is that Paul sees it coming. He's in prison. He knows he's going to preach the gospel before Caesar. He knows that that's probably going to cost him his life. It's actually what did happen in 64 AD. Paul was beheaded. As a Roman citizen, that was the worst way that you could die. He was beheaded for confessing Jesus before Caesar after being in prison. Now, Paul knows that's coming. And he writes this letter to this young man who he calls his spiritual son. I don't think there was anybody closer on earth to Paul than Timothy. So if you're reading this book, make sure you catch this. These are the last things that a man facing death is saying to someone he considers his son. Are they going to be filled with just trite little things? He's going to be communicating the things that are closest to his heart and that he wants to make sure Timothy walks in, moving forward as a young man of God, pastoring a church in very difficult times. So please pay attention into what Paul says is most important. So 2 Timothy chapter 3. And by the way, you type A people, I messed up your notes, okay? I messed up your notes this morning. Actually, the Lord messed up your notes yesterday afternoon. And you'll have to rearrange a few things. I think the last point at the bottom actually goes first. And I think I added some verses. You'll figure it out. Just follow along. It's almost all the same. If you're a root group leader, you should have got an email yesterday that told you how I messed up your notes. Just go back and read that. You'll be okay. The Holy Spirit's going to be good to you. You'll be fine. But let's just keep going. Second Timothy, and let's back up into chapter 3 down to verse 14. Look what Paul says to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it. And how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul is just reminding him, listen, Timothy, you've grown up in the faith, and I want you to remember how you learned the things that you know now about the Lord, the things you're teaching as a pastor the things you know as a man, the things you're bringing into the kingdom of God. You learn those things from people like me. You learned them from his grandmother, Lois, his mother, Eunice. We know that about Timothy. We know that they were believers, that they were following the Lord, and they poured into Timothy. Timothy, I want you to remember what I've said to you, what you've learned along the way, what my coworkers have poured into you. But not just that. Listen to what he points out. Timothy, from the very beginning, you have been steeped and raised in the Holy Scriptures. Now, here's what we know. We know that Paul travels through a city called Lystra in the book of Acts. It's his first missionary journey. And when he's there, many people come to faith in that city. And it appears that Timothy and his grandmother and his mother were part of those people who came to faith on that very first missionary journey. What we know about his mom and his grandmother is this, that they were Jews but his father was a Greek, and we don't know what happened to his father, but his father doesn't seem to be on the scene. 
And so prior to coming to salvation, these were women, and this was a young man, who had been steeped in the Old Testament as good Jews. They were following the Old Testament laws. But then Paul comes along and shows them the fulfillment of the Old Testament in the gospel. And so this young man, even though he was new to the faith as a teenager, had already known the Old Testament really well, which is amazing. And then when Paul comes through on his second missionary journey, Paul decides to take this teenager with him and travel with him. And from that point on, Paul is pouring into his life, and he's building on the foundation that the Lord had laid through the Old Testament, and then the faith of his mother and his grandmother, and he becomes this powerful leader in the early church. We can see from church history, he takes over not only the city of Ephesus and is faithful there, but is a powerful force after that first generation of apostles die. The Lord uses Timothy in an amazing way. But he says, remember how you were raised. And here's why, verse 16 and 17. Go ahead and prepare yourself, because this is your memory verse for the week. My son has a memory verse every week at TKA, and I'm giving you a memory verse this week. You ready to go? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There will be a test when you walk in next week. I'll shake your hand anyway. I'm, you're not coming in unless you have that memorized. I'm just telling you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Paul says all Scripture is God-breathed. I want you to understand what he means by that. In the original language, the word for breathed is also the word for spirit. It's both in Greek and in Hebrew. It's the same. And he's implying that Scripture is breathed from God and that the Spirit of God is the one who is transmitting Scripture to His people. So here's what's happened. The Holy Spirit of God moved on men throughout history, spread out over hundreds of years, all kinds of different places, multiple continents, to communicate the heart of God, the truth of God, the character of God, and the will of God to His people and the Holy Spirit made sure he took every one of those men and he took all their background and all their education, some of them their lack of education, and he made sure that they communicated exactly what he wanted us to have and it would be written down. Now that would be enough. But the Holy Spirit also took those writings and made sure they were preserved throughout the history of the church and the history of this world all the way down until when you picked up your blue Bible in the pew this morning with incredible accuracy. You can go study it. And what's amazing is in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s when we brought computers to bear and we started to look at all the different manuscripts and let computers look at all the different manuscripts of Scripture out there, you know there is incredible accuracy being handed down for hundreds and even thousands of years because the Holy Spirit of God knows what He's doing. He's good at what He does, and He made sure you and I could be beneficiaries of the Word of God. And look at what He says the Word does for us. It is useful for teaching and correcting and training in righteousness and rebuking, which, by the way, Timothy needed. Because in that church, there were many believers who were confused about what the truth was, and there were power players, and there were problems in the church, and sinful patterns, and he needed the Word of God that had been hidden in him, and that he had learned from his childhood to be able to confront those things in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the same thing is true for you. You need the Word of God. It is not trivia for you to learn. 
That's not why we study the Word of God. It's not just a good habit to get into. You need the Word of God. It teaches us. It corrects us. It rebukes us. We need the Word. And so do I. And here's why we need the Word. Chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to kind of, I think, kind of his last real charge to Timothy. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Watch what Paul just did in two verses. He brought the Spirit of God, God the Father, and Jesus Christ all in one verse. This little section. Isn't that amazing? Verse 2, here's his charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Timothy, I'm about to be off the scene. It's going to be you and the disciples you've been making, the ones you're pouring into in Ephesus, the followers of Jesus who are behind us. And Timothy, here's what I'm telling you. Go and preach the word. Don't talk to people about how awesome culture is. Don't try to win people with your humor or your stories or your good looks. Go and preach the word. Make it your priority in your ministry. It should be first and foremost. It's the tool you have, and it's the only tool you need. Preach the word. Now, why? Listen to these verses. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. And instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who will say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. I don't think that there are two verses in Scripture that more clearly define where we are in human history than right now. Where people are gathering around themselves people who will say what they want to hear. And God forbid that happened in the church, but it's happening in the church. It's happening in the church. Listen, we got to wake up. We have to wake up. Because Scripture warns us about a few things. Like in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus himself said this, After I'm gone, there will be those who come among you who are false prophets, who are like sheep or who are like wolves in sheep's clothing. They will come in among you. Paul warned this very church, Ephesus, in his last meeting with those elders, there will be those who will come in among you from within the church who will try to turn you away from the truth. In another part, the scripture says this, that there will be men and women who will be risen up who will know that they are deceiving people. They will know they're telling lies, that their consciences will be seared as with an iron. That's how scripture says. They won't care. They won't feel conviction. They want to make money. They want to be famous. They want to have power. Listen, those people are here. Well, Pastor Matt, it would be really helpful if you told me who they were. No, I'm not going to tell you who they were. Because here's what's really scary. I would name off some people that I feel confident about, and they could be a wolf. Because some of these people don't care what the ramifications are. They don't care how it affects people. They don't care. And on top of that, here's the other hard part. We have some incredible ministries now. We have 
amazing churches. I mean, huge churches that have influences beyond their city and their state, their nation, into the world. We have such incredible teachers, men and women, who now you can listen to anywhere. I mean, you can download anybody's podcast anywhere, listen to any sermon anywhere in the world, anytime you want it. We have powerful movements of God. We have worship ministries that are doing amazing things. And I'm seeing the kingdom go forward. But here is the real danger. Are you with me? The more God gives blessing and influence and power, and he gives all these different crowds that follow us, the more the numbers grow, the more we are tempted to talk to the numbers instead of talk to you about the Lord. And I, did you notice I said we? Because, listen, I have to watch myself all the time. I have to make sure that as the Lord blesses me or the Lord gives me influence, I have to make sure to literally restrain myself to the Word of God and make sure that what I'm teaching you is the very truth of God. There are so many times in this pulpit, I'll just be completely honest, I've been here 13 years, I can look back on sermons that I preach and I'm like, what was I thinking back then? wasn't trying to deceive you, but I'm growing in my faith just like you are. And that's why every single Sunday, almost without fail, I say, why don't you take some notes? Why don't you leave here? And why don't you take your going deeper and your own copy of the Word of God and just go test what I said? Here's why I tell you that. Because if what the Word of God says is different from what Matt Walton says, then Matt Walton is wrong. I'm wrong every time. And that's true for your favorite pastor, your favorite worship leader, whatever else it is. The Word of God is right. And we can't turn away from the Word of God. It has to be central. If the Word of God is not central to our ministry, it will collapse. It's just a matter of time. Brothers and sisters, listen, we have to commit to the Word. If I see one more mega church his pastor blows it because his ego gets so big and his finances get so great that he just thinks I can do whatever and his lifestyle doesn't matter. And when that happens, thousands of people pay the price. And not just that, I pay the price. When a church like that falls, it hurts my ministry too. And you know, it's not just about mega churches. Some of you have come out of small churches. You've come out of small churches where men and women who were power players we're not walking with Jesus. They didn't care what the Word of God said. And when pastors or elders or whoever tried to lead them through it and tried to push on with the kingdom of God, tried to tell the truth, they pushed back and they ran them off and they wrecked the church. Some of you have been through small churches like that. Listen, I'm sick and tired of it. You know how we fix it? We don't fix it with better talkers or better looking people or more educated people in the pulpit. We fix it with the Word of God. And not that I should know the Word. You should know the Word. It should be ringing in your heart to the point, listen to me, that when someone stands in this pulpit, it doesn't line up with the word, it rings in your heart and you can say, I don't know why that's wrong, but baby, I'm going to find out. And I'm not going to rest until I do. We have to center on the word of God. I'm a, I'm a little pumped up this morning. This is important to me. And it should be important to you important to me so listen to what i think some of the last things paul said to timothy chapter 4 verse 5 but you keep your head in all situations endure hardship do the work of an evangelist 
discharge all the duties of your ministry. Let me bring that into modern translation. It's going to get hard, so buckle up. It's going to get hard. Keep your head. Discharge your duties. Do the work of evangelists. Be faithful, Timothy. Be faithful. So now you got your notes, and I want to make three statements. I think this first statement is the one at the bottom of the page, so we'll, we'll see. The Word of God is the ultimate test of anything we are discerning from the Spirit of God. It is the ultimate test. We talked about last week learning how to discern the, will, the, the Word of God in our life, how to understand His voice. The Word of God is the ultimate test of what you believe you're discerning from the Spirit of God. And here's how that works. The Spirit of God who breathed into Scripture is responsible for every one of the 66 books that you're reading. And he's the same Spirit of God that indwells you if you're a believer in Jesus. And if you believe he's saying something to you that does not line up with the Bible, you are wrong. You know why? Because the Spirit of God doesn't say one thing 2,000 years ago and say another thing today. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. These aren't in your notes. You'll just have to write this one down. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. Moses said, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Those are rhetorical statements. They are, the answer is no, he doesn't do that. Or 1 Samuel 15, 29. Samuel said this, He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind because he's not a human being that he should change his mind. The same God who inspired this book right here is the same one that lives in me. And what if I'm hearing is not lining up with that, then I am wrong. And, well, Pastor Matt, I, I'm pretty convinced. I mean, I'm hearing a voice that's speaking to me in that and whatever else it is. I just want to make sure you understand this. The Holy Spirit is not the only spirit that's speaking out there. Did you know that? If you didn't know it, welcome to the game. The Holy Spirit is not the only spirit that's speaking out there. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said this. As for you, you are dead in your sins and transgressions in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Paul is talking about Satan. He's talking about Satan who is a spirit and who has been influencing this world and he was influencing you too long before you ever came along. Now, I wonder what you're thinking. Well, I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus. I have the Holy Spirit in my heart. The spirit of the world was influencing you, became you before you became a believer. And just because we have the Holy Spirit of God does not mean that same spirit can't influence us if we're not careful. Because the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us, but unfortunately, I don't listen sometimes. Sometimes I don't make time for him to speak. Here's how I can distinguish the Holy Spirit of God from the spirit of the world. It's the Word of God. Because the Holy Spirit's never going to speak in contradiction to that. He's just not going to do it. So if you're saying, you know, me and my girlfriend have been dating for a while and we can dishonor the Lord, I, I don't think it's a problem. We're going to get married anyway so we can be sexually immoral, whatever else it is. I know that's not the voice of God because 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us it's God's will that you should be pure. There's a lot of confusion out there, but we have to know the word. Second statement. 
Disciple makers of Jesus Christ are people who are committed to both the Word of God and the Spirit of God. If we want to grow up as disciple makers of Jesus Christ, and that is our mission, we have to be people who are committed both to the Word of God, we have to know the Word of God, and to the Spirit of God that moves in us and leads us. The Spirit of God wants to tell us God's plan for us every single day, where God's at work, what He's doing. He wants to empower us. He wants to use us. He wants to make sure we understand that we're right in the middle of God's will. And that's why we're learning to discern His voice. But the best way to do that is to make sure we have our hands deep in the Word of God first. The Word of God. So that we can make sure what we're hearing is actually the Spirit of God. We have to be committed to both. We have to hold on to both with each hand. And number three, if we're not committed to keeping the Word of God central to our experience with God, we will not consistently or accurately discern the voice of God. We don't make the Word of God central. We will not consistently or accurately discern the voice of God. Let's start with accurately. I think we've already touched on that. If we're knee-deep in the Word of God, we'll be able to understand when it's the Spirit of God hearing us, or speaking to us. But I want to make sure we understand this too. We need the Word of God so that we can consistently, consistently hear the voice of the Lord well. I have good friends who walk with the Lord. They've given me messages of wisdom and, and spiritual, they've used their spiritual gifts. They've given me prophetic words. They've, they've had dreams that they've shared with me. They've done those things. And some of those things have come true and they have blessed my life. And it's been amazing. Praise God for how He uses those gifts in His world. But you know what's also happened? Some of those same people who I know and who I love and whose walk I trust have said the same things to me in different ways, have had prophetic words for me or dreams or whatever, and they were wrong. And they were wrong because it did not play out like they said it played out. I don't take that person, I don't condemn them, I don't throw them away, but I do do this. I don't take them as seriously the next time. And here's what happens. When we consistently start to hear the voice of the Lord, here's one of the dangers. We can start to get confident in ourselves and not stay in the Word of God and not stay humble in who we are. You know what we need in our ministries more than anything else? You know what our large churches need, our small churches need? You know what our book writers need? You know what our influencers and our podcasters? You know what we need more than anything else? We don't need more education. We don't need better presentation. We don't need better technology. You know what we need? We need more humility. We need more humility. Because it is so hard for us to be used of the Lord and think we just got it all right every time. Humility will make you hit your knees every single day. And every time you feel like the Lord's saying something to you, it'll make you hit your knees and test it. And it will drive you to the Word of God. Listen, as I've grown to hear the voice of the Lord, here is what it has driven me to, back to the Word of God. It hasn't driven me away. It's driven me deeper. And it should be the same for us. So why has the Word of God got to be central? Can we move and groove this last part? Let's move quick, okay? I'm going to get you to flip pretty quick. What's unique about the Word of God? Number one, it's eternal. It's eternal. Turn to the right to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not by perishable seed, but of the imperishable 
through the living and enduring word of God. I was teaching the new members class this weekend, and we were talking about what is Reformed theology. And the core belief of Reformed theology is this, that I, when I came into salvation, I was reformed by the word of God. My heart was transformed by the word of God. Here's your scriptural proof right here. For you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. The Holy Spirit takes the word and he saves us. It's amazing. And now look at what it says about the word. Verse 24. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Listen, this is why on Sunday mornings I open this. Because this is going to endure forever. Matt Walton's not going to endure forever. Neither is this church. The EPC is not going to endure forever. Your favorite preacher, their writings, all of that stuff is going away. It's either going away soon or it's going away later. But it's going away. You know it's not going away? The Word of God. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of God endures forever. It's eternal. I'm either going to bank what I believe on a person or I'm going to bank what I believe on the Bible. Sorry, I'll take the Bible. Take the Bible. Number two, not only is it eternal, it's perfect. It's perfect. If you open to the middle of your Bible, you'll probably hit Proverbs. If you've got a cell phone, it'll be real easy to find. Proverbs chapter 30, down to verse 5 and 6. Listen to what Solomon says. Every word of God is flawless. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Whew. That's one for me, isn't it? That's, I mean, that's, that's one that leans heavy on me when I read that. I'm one of the ones that gets up here and preaches every week. Scripture says, don't add to me. Don't add to me. Turn to the left in your Bible, Psalm chapter 12, verse 6. Listen to what David said. And the word of the Lord, or the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. That's pretty pure. It's pretty pure. Not only is it eternal, not only is it perfect, but number three, it's powerful. And you just got the Psalm, but now you need to flip back to the right to Hebrews. Hang on, we'll get there. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God is powerful. Hebrews 4, 12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Bottom line, the word of God is powerful all by itself. The Word of God can handle itself. Charles Spurgeon said this, amazing preacher. This is what he said about the Word. He said, the Word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. You just let lions out of their cage and let lions be lions. Here's my goal in preaching. I don't have to defend the lion. I just have to open the cage and let the lion be the lion. And sometimes I'm the one that gets scratched. And sometimes I'm the one that gets roared at, believe me. 
but I'd rather let the lion just be the lion for you. You can handle the word of God. You absolutely can. You can do this. And number four, not only is it powerful, it is corrective. I just made you leave Psalm, and now I'm going to tell you to go back. Psalm 19. I should have told you to put a bookmark there or something, but Psalm 19. Down to verse 7. David says the law of the Lord is perfect refreshing the soul the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy making wise the simple the precepts of the Lord are right giving joy to the heart the commands of the Lord are radiant giving light to the eyes the fear of the Lord is pure enduring forever the decrees of the Lord are firm and altogether righteous they are more precious than gold than much pure gold they are sweeter than honey than honey from the comb by them is your servant warned in keeping them there is great reward listen to verse 12 and 13 but who can discern their own errors forgive my hidden faults then i will be blameless and innocent of great transgression what a prayer to pray I can't even discern where I'm going wrong with you, God. Give me the word. Show me. It's more precious than gold. It's sweeter than honey from the comb. We have to keep the word central to what we do and how we're hearing the voice of the Lord. Praise team is going to come. They're going to lead us in a final song before we go to the table. This is an opportunity for us to be searching our hearts because before we come to the table we're called to be right with the lord as best of our abilities we're called to be right with other people to the best of our abilities we're called to be one community that comes to the table so as we sing this last song this is a chance for us to search our heart maybe the word of god has convicted us in an area where we've not been giving the word of god the precedent that it needs in our life maybe we need to commit to reading it learning memorizing whatever else it is this is a chance for us to say to the lord listen i'll do what you tell me i'll obey i'll obey so let's stand let's respond to the lord any way he leads us today